So Jonah is known to us as the story of the big fish. In fact, this week when uh, Carolina and I were having a conversation in the car and I said we were preaching about Jonah this week, she said, oh, like the VeggieTales movie. Um, The image of that fish um, and a man living inside is easy to capture in cartoons, in coloring books, in um, Sunday school posters. Um, But the fish part is really minor to the story. It really is. Um, This is a complicated story of calling God's love forgiveness, and God continuing to be present even in the middle of struggle. This is a complicated story that I've been struggling with for about a month, knowing we were coming to this passage of scripture the Sunday after election day. Um, Here's just a couple of things before we really dive in. A couple of things according to biblical scholar Roger Nam. Um, Here's some things that you may not be aware of about the story of Jonah. Nineveh was proud of killing Judeans, uh, the people like Jonah. Um, If you visit the British Museum, there's spectacular wall reliefs that show um, Assyrian uh, sieges that they did. Um, There's also, there's a famous one that shows multiple images of Judeans being impaled and stacks of Judean heads. Um, Yes, disembodied heads um, that were counted by Assyrian scribes, presumably for a pay per head kind of policy that they had with the soldiers. So Jonah had legitimate reasons for not wanting to go to Nineveh. These were not their friends. These were not kind people. They had been working against them. Um, Joppa that he goes to is what we call now, what we know as the south side of Tel Aviv. Um, Those beautiful beaches of Tel Aviv contain the site of Joppa. Um, And in light of those that above information, it was really actually pretty smart of Jonah to try to go to Joppa, to get as far away from um, uh, Nineveh as he could. Um, Jonah went straight to Joppa because it was a gateway to the west. It was easy to get out from there. Um, The natural way to get as far from Nineveh as possible. Third, sailors were massively superstitious. Um, and so sailing was a really precarious profession. They, they could watch what was happening with the weather, but they didn't have the science to explain it. And so they explained it by uh, explaining it through the deities, uh, gods and goddesses that, would, that were angry with them or were upset or, or pleased with them for some reason. So the reaction of the sailors to the storm for them was very logically attributed to disfavor from God. So they desperately tried to appease the gods um, through the sacrifice of Jonah. (laughs) They're throwing him overboard. Um, Finally, Jonah is not about a fish or a whale. The book of Jonah mentions fish a total of two times. So, I mean, it's in there. Um, God, though, is used 14 times. Lord is used 21 times. Even sackcloth is mentioned three times. Um, So we may want to rethink all those fish-themed Jonah study guides. What that really just means is that it is more than maybe what we have explored when we were kids. Um, There is a richness to the story. God asks an incredibly difficult challenge of Jonah. Go to the people who have slaughtered you and killed others, who are proud of what they've done. 
have reveled in that reputation because I want to redeem them. One pastor wrote this week that Jonah was the worst, best missionary ever. (laughs) He is the worst because he doesn't even want to go to the people. Even when he gets there, his message is a little half-hearted. And he's not really happy when they repent. We didn't read that part, but um, he's not pleased that they've repented and that God's forgiven them. He is the one holding on to their sin. And his own sin keeps him from celebrating the good that's happening in Nineveh. Um, last week, there were new episodes of The Mandalorian, as you can see here. And I don't know if you're a, a Mandalorian watcher. If you have not seen the episode, I'm going to try really hard not to give any spoilers. Um, and and I had to look up the names, the exact names of all of these people because I I don't I don't know them. Uh, but um, but I did enjoy I I do watch the, the series. Um, so Mando. Uh, who is on this little scooter thing, um, is looking for other Mandalorians. He's looking for other people of the way or the order. And so uh, in order to get Baby Yoda, who's not really Baby Yoda, um, back to his own kind. And in looking for um, other people to help him, he heads to a small mining village, a village that's now terrorized by a sand monster, to avoid spoilers, it's really a cool-looking monster the way that they do the CGI. I did not, I don't have a picture of that. But this sand monster is called a crate dragon. Um, but this this mining town had previously been pillaged by the sand people. Oh, I don't have it on. The sand people are these creepy looking things that look like they have a plastic bag over their head with goggles. Um, So um, he doesn't find another Mandalorian, but he does find this guy who is wearing part of the armor of another Mandalorian. And in order to get that suit back, he agrees to help the people of this mining village um, to take out the crate dragon. But once they visit with the sand people, they learn that they're going to all have to work together. Remember, the sand people had pillaged, had killed people, had stolen their things um, constantly for this little mining village. And so in order, though, to move forward, in order to take care of the dragon, they all have to work together. Um, And when they go back to the villagers um, and tell them they're going to have to cooperate with the sand people, they argue that they can't trust them. Some shout, why would they help these creatures that have harmed them? Um, Mando and Vanth, this dude right here, um, tell the villagers that the dragon is a far worse threat. Their safety, their future is tied up with the sand people that have hurt them. They can only survive if they're able to set the past aside and find a way to work together. This week, as I saw poll numbers come in, I was heartbroken. How do we move forward? In the 24 hours before election day, I had a couple of conversations with people that I completely disagreed with. Um, One went on about how Trump just tells things the way they are and people just need to understand that and also shared how she believed that we were in bad days for Christians in the coming days, uh, that we were not going to be able to worship together, that people were going to come after us. And and her message even included how she uh, and her family have uh, bought some property and plan to put a big fence around it in order so that they can come in and drive in and worship, but they can close everybody else out with this 
this big gate because they're that afraid that people are going to come and get them. Right after saying that people shouldn't be afraid of coronavirus, uh, that people were just living in fear. She couldn't live in fear like that, but she was living in fear that people were coming for her church. Um, another one talked about um, uh church and a, a church churches that won't allow you to sing and how we're supposed to be praising God and scripture says that if you're not praising God then then the rocks will cry out which there is a scripture about that but praising God in that context doesn't have to be singing in a church building inside in a closed space especially if that that hurts other people we've made everything so political Carolina and I drove past a polling place this week. Uh, traffic was slowing down. Uh, this was on Tuesday on election day. And as we got closer, we realized that traffic was slowing down because there were men all along the sides of the highway waving American flags and Trump flags um, uh, as people drove into or drove by and drove into the parking lot. And all of these and these kinds of conversations that I find myself having, something rises up inside of me. It's a kind of anger, but it's also something akin to a kind of hatred that, if I'm being honest, is probably akin to what Jonah felt about those Ninevites. But just like the miners and the sand people, somehow our future is all tied up together. Somehow we have to find a way forward. Somehow we have to work together. Somehow those of us who are white and recognize our humanity is bound up with people of color, people on the margins, have to find a way to help those uh, with those who don't see this. Somehow we have to find a way to love them because they, just like us, are made in the image of God. We cannot let hatred take root in us. We cannot let bitterness root in our hearts. If we all stay on opposite sides, othering those on the other, demonizing the other side, we will never find a way back together. The anger, bitterness, and hatred in our country will only continue to rise. There's been a way forward, and I, I believe that like Jonah, God is calling us this morning to our Ninevites. Who are your Ninevites? I'm ashamed to say that in those two conversations that I mentioned earlier, I stayed silent. I didn't speak up. I didn't want a conflict. I didn't think it was going to be productive. And I just used that as an excuse to, to keep my opinions to myself. And, and thus doing nothing to help the echo chamber that they're in. I need to be aware of my own echo chambers, where everything that I surround myself, all the information I'm getting, sounds like stuff that I agree with completely. I've just unfollowed people or muted them um, rather than having a conversation with them. And I don't mean like just a, a slam kind of, uh, just a post on social media, but, but actually sitting down and, and having a conversation. But I also haven't probably posted enough to show what I really do believe, where I stand on things. And none of this will work if I do not have love. If I can't let go of the hatred in my heart, the anger that I feel, love will not be able to occupy it. On Tuesday night at our election prayer service, we read 1 Corinthians 13, or the love chapter as it's known, as a reminder that without love, we can do nothing else. That was not a passage, a passage given to just couples who are getting married. It was, it was given to a community of Christians learning how to live together amongst the people who persecuted them. Who do you need to love? 
earliest exit polls, and I, this is, uh, um, I posted this yesterday. Um, my hope is not in the US presidential election, but today I can breathe differently. Don't let anyone suffocate your joy. Today, cruelty loses. Um, I know this is not a great graphic. I tried to find it in a different way, but let me just tell you what it says. Um, early exit polls showed that white men voted for Trump at 58%, white women at 55%. And those who listed themselves as white evangelical or white born again Christians voted for Trump at 76%. Right now, we are a church of white people who live in a red county. And I'm not saying that we're all straight blue ticket kind of people or that even all of us that amongst our church, nobody voted for Trump. But we are a people who have a lot of loving that we need to do. I'm not suggesting everyone in here represents just one party, but, but I do believe that we are a church that has watched one party that especially over the last four years continued to, to take away the rights of others, question the humanity of immigrants, even those fleeing terrible conditions that some of our political policies have escalated, ignored and rolled back policies that take care of our earth, taken health care away from people, even pushing for it in a pandemic, ignored a virus that they knew was coming, and then have ignored people who've lost jobs because our whole economic system has crumbled bullied and name-called others, especially women and people of color, isolated us from our allies around the world, blatantly lied and gaslighted us, making us believe that we were the ones who were wrong while they pushed a me-first mentality. I do believe that we are a church of people who are bothered by that. Those of us who agree with all of that can breathe a sigh of relief today. My slides were out of order, but... As the Black Liturgy's account um, said yesterday, my hope is not in the U.S. presidential election, but today I can breathe differently. Don't let anyone suffocate your joy. Today, cruelty loses. But we're not done with those kind of attitudes in our country and in our world. Now that Trump has lost, there have been years of policies and, and lots of people in power on both sides that have set the stage for someone like this to come into power. And now they've been emboldened. I read an article this week that said that the next candidate that comes in with the ideologies of Trump will be better educated and will be much more savvy. This is not about politics, about getting any one political party in power, but it is about an attitude that realizes our humanity is all tied up together. All of us. This is not about red and blue states. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. It is about all of us working together for policies and, and putting people in power, having conversations because we care about all of humanity. We cannot hide in our fish, in Joppa, run away in our boats. We have to go to our Nineveh. Bernice King, daughter of Martin Luther King Jr., said, Kindness matters. But kindness does not equal justice. Civility counts, but calling for civility is not the humane response to injustice. Justice is. Love is essential. But love is not a passive weeping bystander. Love puts in work. 
there's been a really quick call to healing in our nation coming together, and I do agree with that. There has got to be decency in the way we relate to one another. We've got to set aside the power grabbing. Remember that Martin Luther King Jr. said, though, the greatest obstacle was passive people, the middle of the road people, the quiet people, who in King's words preferred a negative peace, which he defined as the absence of conflict rather than the presence of justice. Jesus says that he came to turn the world upside down in Luke 12, 49 through 56. I have come to start a fire on this earth. How I wish it were blazing right now. I've come to change everything, to turn everything right side up. How I long for it to be finished. Do you think I came to smooth things over and make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and confront. From now on, when you find five in a house, it will be three against two and two against three. Father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against bride, and bride against mother-in-law. Then he turned to the crowd. When you see clouds coming in from the west, you say, storm's coming, and you're right. And when the wind comes out of the south, you say, this will be a hot one, and you're right. Frauds, you know how to tell a change in the weather, so don't tell me you can't tell a change in the season the God season we are in right now. We are in a season where we have seen that the world needs changing, where we have to fight, where we have to love our way to helping others realize our humanity is all tied up together, a fighting to move us past red and blue, Trump and whoever else. We all deserve more than that. As Jesus said, I did not come to smooth things over and to make peace. This morning we can grieve, and and I do believe that we should be grieving that 76%. We can grieve the place that our country has gotten to. We can keep loving, talking, fighting, and working for a better world. This work is so important right now. Look at the sky. The clouds are here, even if the sun is peeking through this morning. History is turning and changing, and there are some who are terribly afraid of losing the power that they've known, even if it means a better world. And so they they hold tightly on what they have. We can let them hold tightly while creating the new The work of the church is more important than ever right now. My hope for us as a church, as believers in God who show over and over again that our humanity is tied up together, who says simply God is love, is that we keep loving, keep building bridges, keep fighting for a better world right now in our community, our own families, with our friends, our coworkers, that we keep engaging My hope is that we keep speaking up, standing firm, and showing love. The world, our country, our town is looking for Christians that stand for something different. And I believe that we can be those people. This morning, as we come to a time of reflection, um, we do have um, 